The Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and I'm pleased to announce a new co-host. Tell everyone hi, Celine. Hello. My new co-host is Celine Yeager, better known to all and sundry as the Fit Chick. Now, I know that at least some of our listeners think that everyone in the cycling media knows each other. And while I know a lot of my colleagues, I don't know them all. And I suspect, like at least some, if not most of our listeners, when I first encountered your work, um, I was intimidated by it. You seem to have such command of the science surrounding training and nutrition. You were so stunningly fit, and I was actually grateful I'd given up writing about nutrition and training. Not that I'd ever done a whole lot of that. So, Celine, before we go any further, can I ask you to share a bit about your background and where you came from professionally? I mean, what led you to become a contributor to bicycling for something like 20 years at this point? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's been a long time at this point. Um, yeah, I get that question a lot. I, I started um, not really in the cycling circles at all. I started with a uh, degree in... Um, kind of a mess of things. It was communications, anatomy and physiology, and um, uh, advertising copywriting, of all things. And I like to tell people that I sell healthy living for for my for my job because that's that's how my degrees sort of all came together. Were, um, so did you have that in mind as you were in undergraduate school? No, no, I really didn't know. I wanted to be a writer, but I really didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if I wanted to, I didn't really want to go into newspaper journalism. I just, I liked writing. Um, but I also thought maybe I'd go pre-med and I was your typical confused 18 year old kid, right? So I just sort of took everything I was interested in and had no idea what I was going to do when I came out of school. And I ended up I live in the Philadelphia area, or I did at the time, and there's a lot of medical publishing there. So I ended up just falling into medical publishing and writing for such um, journals as Infectious Diseases in Children. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that was an awesome one. And Contact Lens Spectrum, I was the uh, editor-in-chief, actually, at some point. And you'd be shocked how many people uh, burn their eyeballs with curling irons. I learned I learned a lot of that, um, but that's another story. Anyway, so <laughs> no, I was doing I a lot hear. of medical writing. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a lot of medical writing, and I really I, I just wanted to do more consumer, you know, more consumer writing. I liked I liked the science, but I liked making science digestible and like. I liked writing for a lay audience, and I kept sending resumes to Rudale Press, which is the publishing company at the time of, of bicycling, and I got really nice rejection letters, and um, I didn't know I wanted to write for bicycling, I just wanted to write for Rodale. Like, they did prevention and men's health and all those publications. Um, 
long story short, a headhunter found one of my many resumes and gave me a call and I got the interview and I wrote a chapter on dental floss that got me the job. And uh, I just, you know, I met all these wonderful people who did all this stuff. They ran and they rode their bikes at lunch. And uh, I had always ridden a bike as a kid. And I thought, like, this is awesome. So I just started riding with them. And they're like, you should race. And I had no idea that that was a thing. So I just like, okay. And I started racing. And, you know, I got a coaching license. And I got my uh, certificate for training. And one thing led to another. And I just started riding uh, for Bicycling Magazine. And uh, I'm still here. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, talk about an ambition blossoming. Um, okay. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I had no idea like it could be a thing, but it's a it's a wonderful thing. That's really cool. That's such a neat story. Okay, if you'll permit me, um, yes. I'd like to recount how we met. The thing is, I. I tend to have a pretty modest view of my audience. I like to reach as many people as possible with my writing, but I don't for a second ever just assume that everybody has seen my work because there are just too many people who have it. It happens every day. Um, but after my second son, Matthew, was born, I began this series of posts that were less entertainment for my readers than they were therapy for me. Um, the series was called Enter the Deuce uh, because I nicknamed him that right after the birth. And you, mm. to my great surprise, shared one of my posts on Facebook and wrote with a warmth that, well, honestly, reduced me to tears. I was floored. And I remember thinking, okay, if I'm in a room with her, I've got to say hi. And then just a couple weeks later, we pull up next to each other in the parking lot at Sea Otter. And I remember when that. we saw each other, I had to walk over immediately. And then you gave me a hug like we were old friends. It was like, whoa. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was the best thing ever. And I mean, at that point in my life, I really needed that. Um, but I've always been cu curious, you know, what was the first time my work became a blip on your radar? It's so funny, um, all of this, because uh, when we were talking about doing this thing, this partnership together, I was like, when was that? Like, when was when did I become aware of that? And um, it got me thinking, it, like, if you'll recall, way back in those early days of cycling media, when I first got involved in it, I, you were involved a little before I was, um, man, everything was so road racing driven, right? Like the, the media was just yeah. really deep into, and like, I liked that. I followed that kind of stuff, but um, I've always, even when I was racing, really liked the experiential part of riding more and the experiential part of racing and just the human, the human experience of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I sort of sought stuff like that out in, in my media, like, things to read. And I came across Belgium knee warmers. Um, Bill Strickland might have turned me on to it. I can't remember. But and I, I liked the spirit of what I was seeing there. And that's I think that's the first place I encountered your work. Okay. And then, yeah. And then later it was Red Kite Prayer. And I love the title of Red Kite Prayer. I was like, what a cool... What a cool name. Like, it's such a great metaphor for so much in life, right? Mm. And um, so that that resonated with me, and I just followed it here and there. And uh, and then Enter the Deuce. Um, I, I read that, and I was following along with it, and, and there was one particular post, and, I'm, and I don't, it's been many years now, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't remember... <laughs> All of it? How many years has it been? Five. <laughs> He's five now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It feels like even longer in some ways. But anyway, I remember the spirit of the post being something to the effect of 
um, that it felt that you felt like maybe it was frivolous to go for a bike ride or maybe selfish to go for a bike mm. ride or there was something something in that in in this and, and maybe you want to remind people of what was going on but when you when your child is very sick and there's things that are very serious um, leaving all of that to go for a bike ride can feel problematic for some people right yeah um, and, and if you'll engage me for a second that hit all kinds of nerves in me because uh, my daughter was born with issues and she was in the NICU for a week um, when she was born. And you don't expect that when you're going to have a baby, right? Yeah. You, you expect them to be happy and expect everyone, you expect the Hallmark experience. And when your baby is in a plastic box with a blindfold and uh, IVs and you can't touch her and stuff, it's, it's, it's a mess, you know? And I was in the hospital and I was really coming undone. Um, it was just, it was just not a good time. And on the fifth day, my husband brought bikes and signed us out. And he's like, we're going to go for a ride. And I was like, I can't leave the baby and go for a ride. And, you know, it's just like, but I, it was, it was a beautiful, it was like a day like today. It was, uh, and it was the same time of year, it was May. And it was exploding with springtime in the mid-Atlantic and there were colors and it smelled amazing. And as soon as I started pedaling, I felt like myself again and I could think and I could actually cry and I could talk and like, to me, like putting on, like going for a bike ride is like, and I'm, I'm breaking up just thinking about it, but going for a bike ride is like putting on your oxygen mask before you help others. And I've, I've always adhered to that since. And when people, you know, I remember after 9-11, a bunch of us went for a ride. And like, I feel that really strongly, like we have to do this thing that, that helps us and defines us and lets us be and lets us think and, and connects us to the world and connects us to each other in order to deal with all the tragedy that is in life that is serious. And it is not frivolous to go for a bike ride. So that's that's why I, I'm very passionate about some things. And that's why I put up that post because I wanted to share that with you and I wanted to let you know that. And of course, then by the time I saw you in the parking lot, you were like an old friend with a very shared experience. So there you go. <laughs> Wow. Um, now you got me. I'm sorry, are we going to start crying <laughs> yeah, for the first you got me. So, um, Hi, everybody. We're going to start crying. <laughs> wow. Um, amazing. Um, well, thank you for that. Um, you know, I should probably stop here and say, uh, so there's been this change uh, because <laughs> Eldon has stepped away. Uh, Fatty is doing a new podcast on Leadville. And as one of, oh, I wow. think it's, I think he's one of eight people, if I recall correctly, who has uh, done Leadville 20 times. And so if there's a single. It's amazing. Yeah. So if there's anybody on the planet at all who can possibly do a whole podcast just devoted to Leadville, well, <laughs> he's the guy. Um, and so, yeah. you know, it's a huge passion of his. And it just makes sense for him to do that, especially given that, like, almost every single episode of The Pace Line, Leadville got mentioned. Uh, I know that Hottie's going to be helping him with that, and he's going to be doing some other stuff. And hopefully we can occasionally coax Hottie into joining us for some episodes. But this was a great opportunity for uh, the pace line ahead in a slightly different direction. And I keep talking about diversity. And the very first person I thought of when I thought, well, we're going to do a little reboot here. And it's like, I want to work with a woman. And who would I like to work with? And I, I, I S you not, um, 
your your name was the first one to come to mind. I appreciate that. So, so uh, happy to be here. This is going to be fun. Well, with that, let's jump into our first poll. And since you are the fit chick, I want you to put <laughs> your nose in the wind. <laughs> no pressure. Okay, I'll try to keep pace. Um, yeah, no, I thought about this, and I thought the first thing to talk about would be smart is the most recent thing I've done. Um, I think I mentioned to you before that I went up to Michigan to do this yeah. inaugural event, uh, the Coast to Coast Gravel Grinder. It's uh, it, it was a really cool event. It's 212 to 213 miles. It goes from the eastern shore of Michigan at Lake Huron across the state, and it ends um, on the western shore at Lake Michigan. Okay. And it's pretty rad because you start in the sunrise, uh-huh. and you're hopefully you know, getting across the state to see the sunset on the other side. Oh, okay. Uh, not everybody does that. It's, it's very Dirty Kansas-like in that uh, the people who do beat the sunset get a, a special, you know, award for doing that. Uh-huh. Um, and you've got a 21-hour cutoff, so oh, okay. that helped people were finishing at 312 in the... Uh, <gasps> Yeah, I can't even imagine. But but the poll that I'm interested in talking about with all of these events, and this is timely since Dirty Kanza is right around the corner, yeah. is this idea of um, burning matches, which is something that I think a lot of endurance athletes of all sorts can understand. Like, like we talk about matches and that you only have so many matches in your book to start a day, right? And matches are any time that you are huffing and puffing and your legs are burning and you're going above threshold pretty much, yeah. right? And what, what, what fascinates me about these ultra endurance events. I've done Kansas twice, yep. um, and this is my first one here. Is that Patrick? You've got two hundred some miles to go. Nobody. I mean, even the people who are winning are going to be out there for ten to twelve. You know, many many hours. Yeah. We're looking at a very very long day, and you would think that we that we were starting like a cross-country mountain bike race, right? Like, it is it is amazing to me how people are drilling it right off the start. Yep. And, and it was no, it was nothing different in Michigan. Like, we're, we're in a pack and it's a neutral start, so that's nice, you know? Everyone's kind of cool and the race director's taking us through town so we're not killing ourselves through intersections. But the moment he pulls off... Everybody just starts like taking flyers off the front and pace lines are forming and they're just and literally, I mean, we're, we're talking within an hour. of I mean, it's just bananas. And we're about 10, 13 miles in and people are really getting ramped up. And it doesn't help that we have a tailwind and it's flat. Right. So people can barely contain themselves. And th- th- this this truck comes rolling up the like truck, meaning a train of riders comes like roaring up the left side. And I'm just trying to be very careful because I've done this before. I want to stay within myself and keep myself under threshold. Like I've got this whole idea and they, they go flying by and that someone's like, come on, Celine. And I'm like, you know, I'm good. I have I have I have 200 miles to go. I think, sure. I think I'll I think I'll ease into my day a little bit. And the next thing you know, it's, it's the unmistakable sound of brakes locking up and bikes getting... And so, you know, that sound is the most terrible sound. Yeah. You know the crash is coming. And 
it was like the Matrix. It was right in front of me, and it goes all slow motion, and the there's like people are just like cartwheeling, and I'm a good road racing friend of mine. Is I was like, if that happens, look for a soft place to fall, you know, or a soft place to land. So I'm just like looking, like I cannot let my day end this way. I've trained for months for this thing, yeah. so um, I skid into the pile. I actually did endo a little bit. Uh, I ended up literally with one scratch on my shin, but I got up and I looked and the woman who had like yelled over to me, like, come on, was face down on the ground. Um, There was another bike broken at the seat stays, severed, just cracked. Like another guy had like broken his bars and I was just like, oh my, like this was, we have 200 miles to race. Unbelievably, all those people on the ground got up and finished their day, which is, I think, a testament just how crazy this this group is oh but gosh. um you know i like i got back on my bike and i looked around i'm like can we just settle down now you know and everybody was 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 pretty cool with that but like i just you know i get like i understand like you know, you talked about leadville like there are places where you do need to like expand a little extra energy even if you don't want to to get into a position right like you don't want to be 2,000 riders back going into St. Kevin's so you have to walk up that <laughs> climb at Leadville I, you know I like I, I totally get that but I think that most people don't really get that don't really understand that concept of like the matches burned and how many matches they have you know and, and I, I'd actually talked to Hunter Allen who's like he's that physiologist who does training peaks and all that about like what actually is a match and he he defined it for me which i thought was pretty interesting he's like anytime you go 20 percent over your threshold power for one minute that's a match like 15 to 20 percent of your threshold power for five minutes that's a match eight to 12 over your threshold for 10 minutes and what's interesting is like even like one to eight percent over threshold for 20 minutes those are all matches and I think in those long events, if you're not careful on those lower levels, yeah. you're frying all your matches without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Because you you can see it, and I've seen it every time I do these events. Like everybody disappears easily by two thirds of the way in. You know, mm-hmm. the people who are at the front just sort of, and then they're crawling in at three o'clock in the morning. So, you know, I guess I, you know, my question maybe to you and my in general is, is I wonder, like, what what could prevent this? Do people I, I feel like their internal regulators aren't working. Like, even though I tell people when I'm when I write, like, pay attention to your breath, pay attention to all this stuff. But I feel like the adrenaline of the day gets in the way of that. Um, you know, so maybe it is like not everyone can afford a power meter, but maybe we do need to go back to like, look at your heart rate. What is it doing? You know, just what do you do? I mean, is there any you've, you've done like these grasshoppers and some of this stuff like, you know, have you experienced that? Oh, no, never, never. I'm supremely disciplined. <laughs> never. <laughs> no, not me. Oh. I've done it. I should I should tell you, I have done it myself. I did it the last Leadville, not Leadville, uh, Dirty Kansas, which is exactly why I just was like, well, maybe if I maybe I'll be OK if I push just a little bit I was not okay I was so not okay <laughs> by 168 miles I was so not okay well but that's anyway. when the darkness descends anyway but I mean oh no, it's terrible yeah seriously I mean I did a grasshopper Saturday which is to say I confronted this Saturday uh we oh just this past Saturday <laughs> yeah yeah um <laughs> so it's fresh yeah so you know we we roll out at the start and it's i don't you know 100 and 120ish maybe 140ish riders uh rolling out on okay. tiny little moscow road in duncan's mills i mean this is the, and how long is it going to be um it's an 80 mile day 
Okay. Okay. And we've got we've got flat with a couple of turns. It's a uh, tight, narrow road. It's two lanes, and you know you've got flat for a few miles, and then um, falls flat into a gentle climb. Then you hit Occidental, and then you turn right, and then it's a real climb, like twelve hmm. to fifteen percent for uh, okay. 100, 200 meters, and then it levels off to like eight percent. Well, and this is in the beginning. Yeah, this is the opening of the okay, race. Okay, this is interesting. And mm-hmm. you know, okay. I look down, and we're doing twenty-eight miles an hour. <laughs> you know, it's like oh. Okay, it's like that, is it? But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we've got Ted King up front among other people. Right, right. You know, right. so there's there's firepower. You know, this is like U.S. military shock and awe up front. Um, and I'm just trying to like weave through the exhaust getting spit out the back. I just want to sit at the back and get this free toe uh, into Camp Meeker where the first gentle climb comes. And I'm hoping that I'm going to feel good enough that I can just kind of sit on this through Camp Meeker and get to Occidental because I know that the moment we turn right onto Coleman Valley, I'm going to have to get in the gutter just to get out of everybody's way. And and is everybody kind of together at that still at that point? Like is people it, are getting spit out. Boom, 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 yeah, boom, yeah. boom. And you know, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm monitoring my breath and I realize I'm <laughs> and it's like that's that's not really gonna work all that long. And I know already how my legs feel. It's like I'm I am not about to have an amazing day. I need mm-hmm. I need to chill uh and you know yeah, if I go burning matches now, this is this is going to be a very long day for me. And I I move to the right gradually, get around some people, you know, get to the gutter because I hate it when people just like sit up in the middle of the group. Uh, yes, and it's very dangerous. Yeah. Too. I, so I'm I'm yeah. big on etiquette. So I gradually worked my way over to the right, and then I I eased off the gas. And I didn't just stop pedaling. I eased off. Again, mm-hmm. I want to be careful of those who are around me. And people pass and a few more people pass. And then suddenly people who I thought were ahead of me are riding up to me. And it's like, oh, good grief. Um, And, you know, it was one of those things that the moment we hit the the first uh, the the first grades of Camp Meeker, uh, I realized, oh, yeah, I've got nothing in my legs for climbing. I'm okay on the flats, but I cannot climb today. Uh, so it was a good thing. And yeah, when I have a big day like that ahead of me, I know not to go burning everything, but it is literally adrenaline that, you know, you get excited by the event. Um, you know, yeah. you get excited just by the thought of competition and your brain does some stuff to you. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff that, that gets squirted through your brain that uh, will allow you to kind of dial back what your initial perception is, which is why you've got to go to those objective measures. What is my heart rate? Right. What is my breath rate? Um, you know, what are we doing? Let Oh, let's look at the GPS. Oh, 28 miles an hour. Do you really <laughs> think you can do that all day? Um, and so, yeah, it's really important because it's so easy to have your perception skewed and all that. Yeah, yeah, it, re- it really is. And, you know, it's it's hard. It, it's 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 challenging. It's challenging. Like, you know better. I know better. It's, it's challenging even for those of us who quote unquote know better right and but let alone for people who you know for whom this might be 
one of very few events that they do, uh, it's even more challenging. They, they, it, it's super hard. I, I, I had a hard time myself at the coast to coast being like, okay, I'm going to adhere to this plan. I am not going to get swept up and just start charging. I will see all these people again very soon. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, the brain is such an interesting thing on so many levels. Well, so tell us, I mean, how did the day go? I mean, what sort of time did you oh, turn okay. in? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, well, after it was kind of a, the wreckage was actually sort of a mixed blessing in a way because, mm-hmm. um, I didn't know where I was in the field anymore, right? Like I, you know, I prepared for this and I, I wanted to be competitive. Uh, and there were quite a few women, there were almost 40 women signed up, which is which is kind of a large field for a race like that. Um, and after that all went down, I had no idea where anybody was. I mean, I knew Amanda Nauman was off the front and that was, you know, she was she was the favorite to bye win bye. the day and, yeah. and that, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, but then I really just had no trouble just racing my race. Like I was just like, okay, well that just happened, and now I'm just going to just you know keep myself under threshold uh-huh. and you know climb climb where I know I can climb. And and I made a real point of taking care of myself at the aid stations. And sometimes I rushed through them a little more than I probably should. Mm-hmm. So um, you know it went. I got no matter what you do, it gets so grim somewhere between 150 and 175 it, I don't think it much matters um, I, I, I had I went through my cave it wasn't as bad as usual I knew how to take care of myself and you know what Patrick I got to the end and um, I was just so happy with how it went I had almost forgotten that I was in a race I didn't even check results like I got done and I was so happy I was like wow I did it I did everything right and I, and I managed my problems and I even like you know they have that salsa chase lounge thing at these things now and yeah. I stopped and I hammed it up with that and I was like I was just super stoked that I'd made it across the, the state and um, it didn't rain it was supposed to rain and it was uh, and then I saw the race organizer you know gave me a hug and he's like did you check the results I was like oh yeah results and I got second and I was so excited I can't even tell you like how excited I was I was just like oh my god I got second so uh, yeah it's, it's funny it's funny how how you can perform well you know without I don't want to say without trying because I certainly tried but without all the stress of trying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean without all that self-imposed pressure that sometimes and all the voices and all that stuff that that I think maybe sometimes leads to ill performances at least in my case sure sure well it's just it's so nice that you were able to let go of so much and just focus on having the day that you wanted to have you know yeah and it was a gift it was great it really was that's terrific and I, I gotta say I don't think I've ever run across anybody who has finished second in an event and gotten to the end and thought oh what a great day and not <laughs> not also been consumed by where are the results I gotta see the results how'd I do uh, so I mean it really does speak of the sincerity of what you're saying about you know like yeah i had a great day yeah and it was great and that like i that race will be among my most memorable and and for forever because because of that because i i trained right i executed right and everything else fell into place and that's like magic when it happens that's so cool excellent yeah okay so i'm gonna take my pull now so yep your turn um i have a confession I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, we all feel like that sometimes. I, I mean, I honestly feel like I'm out of touch with my fitness and even out of touch with my equipment. I know 
objectively that I'm carrying more fat than when I was racing years ago. I'm 12 pounds above my old race weight. And not all of that is fat, obviously. Um, but I also know my aerobic fitness is off. Um, the fact that I've had fewer than a dozen weeks north of 10 hours on the bike in my training is mm. proof enough. Okay. Um, that's, I couldn't tell you the last time I had a year like this, but as I mentioned, last weekend was the final grasshopper of the season, and people I've been able to ride with on other occasions just rode away from me. Uh, people I used to be able to drop dumped me like a high school boyfriend. Um, I took seven hours to ride 80 miles. Um, and you know the way you can feel when your legs are dead? Um, yeah. That's... That was my whole day Saturday, you know, and then Monday morning. Okay. I skipped Sunday. Didn't ride on Sunday because I was what shattered. Um, Monday morning I get up and I needed to put in a final ride on this test bike before I sent it back uh, to the manufacturer. And so I get my boys off to school. I jump on the bike and I go do this climb near me, Los Alamos. Um, actually, Jeremy Seasip, frame builder, lives at the base of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I waved at his house as I rode by. Now, I was... I'm pleased to say I felt reasonably good on the lower stretches. Um, didn't go too deep, but I did kind of roll a fair pace just because it felt all right. And then the inclines got sharp and I needed to back off. Uh, I mean, there are some ramps of like 18 and 19 percent uh, grades in this road. Um and the bike didn't have a particularly low gear for me, given my fitness, a 3428. So I was, you know, out of the saddle, just kind of stomping on the pedals as I was able to. But I didn't feel terrible. Uh, and that was really gratifying. So I ride home, upload my file to Strava, and bam, I've got a PR on that climb. And so now Hmm. I've got this dilemma of not knowing how to parse the last week. Was my combination of tire and tube on Saturday just terrible and the rolling resistance was off the chart? Were my legs just stale because I hadn't been able to ride since Wednesday? Was the bike I was on for the climb up Los Alamos helium filled? I, I really don't know what to think of this. So. My question to you is not whether or not you can solve this for me. I'm just curious if you've ever found yourself in such a weird space and what you did about it. Yeah, you know, that's that's an interesting question. I do. I have because I'm very curious. Did you were you on a different setup than you had been previously for other grasshoppers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. Almost every one of the grasshoppers uh, this season, I've been on a different bike. Um, you know, okay. Uh, and even that bike, you know, like I'd run different sets of wheels on it and whatnot. Um, right. But I was on 35 millimeter uh, tires, you know, with tubes. I couldn't run them tubeless because I was running zip 303s. And, you know, now there's this voice in my in my head, you know, oh, you're running tubes. Your, your rolling resistance <laughs> is going to be higher. Um, I didn't flat, but I wanted the bigger tires because of this one dirt descent in there where people were scattered like refugees all down the climb because they'd run 28s and gotten flats. Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, uh, yeah, it was a very, very weird day. Just every single hill, I almost came to a stop, it felt like. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I can't say that I've had anything that quite that pronounced. I did have one... It's interesting. I did have one event leading up to this 
big event that I just did, the Michigan one, um, that I have always felt very strong on. It's called Hell of Hunterton uh-huh. down here. Yeah. It's like one of, one of our spring classics. Yeah, it's got a lot of... Um, everyone's just always like bananas out of the gate because it's one of the first events of the season and after everyone's been cooped up all winter and it's got a lot of dirt sections and you know it's an 80 some mile day so it's a pretty solid day and I always feel really pretty good on it and um, to your point I just did not and and it's unusual I I don't I don't I don't vary a whole lot in how I feel and um, I was on intentionally I was on a heavier bike I was on an endurance bike Mm -hmm. um, with kind of like not great rolling tires you know all that stuff but which i usually don't let get in my head and i and i was riding with people who were on very uh slicker machines with lighter setups and it was it really it actually did bother me all day long like i just didn't feel like myself mm-hmm. on any of the climbs and so you know when that happens you can you can go one of two ways with it right you can like decide that you suck and that it's all over and why do you ride bikes anyway and like just just talk to yourself like that all day and just keep going backwards yep. or you can just be like okay you know this is a blip this is you know my setup's not great maybe the stress of my life because there's always you know stress is stress is stress and sometimes i think we don't give enough credit to um, the other things going on in our lives that can take some of the energy off of our bicycle rides, right? Yep. Um, you know, so I, I, I try to contextualize it as best as possible. Try to understand it, you know, and in this case, and in your case, it sounds like it could have been a bit gear-related. It could have been a little life-related. It could have just been phases of the moon. I mean, sometimes you just have not a great day, and if all those things conspire together, it can end up being a really kind of crappy day. And your mental state, I hate to say, Patrick, can contribute to that. So if you're yeah. there, and it does sound like you were burning matches that maybe you didn't have. I mean, you, as you referenced earlier, if you're going 28 miles an hour and huffing and puffing, um, you can just get into kind of a mental and physical hole early on that, that maybe you just never got out of. Um, as mm. to your PR a couple of days later, I'm not as surprised by that because your systems just might have been open and ready to go and all that stress was blown out and you had no expectations and uh, sometimes that just happens. I have no scientific reason for that, but I have noticed like sometimes that a really good day will follow just like a really hard a really hard one so yeah funny stuff you know, there you have it and, and I, you just I wasn't even trying take it as to kill goes. myself on that climb you know it's not like oh, yeah, I no, set no, out no, to I do get it that. it's just like yeah strange strange stuff um but uh you know after talking uh with a close friend um subsequent to all this uh you know the question was put to me well you know, what can you change in your schedule so that you start getting the time on the bike uh, that you mm-hmm. want? You know, what changes are possible? You know, how important is it to you to make those changes? And uh, what I finally realized yep. is that, oh, you know, the big problem is I don't give myself permission to get on the bike. Uh, a lot of times it'll be three o'clock in the afternoon and I'm like, oh, I need to do 
two more things. And then suddenly it's 5.15 and I got to go pick up my boys and I haven't gotten out for a ride. And so if you I need to make a meeting, you need to make a meeting. I tell everyone that I'm going to stop you right there. Mm. You need to make it a meeting with yourself. It's a brainstorming meeting. It's legitimate, but you need to do it. And if you were working in an office, mm-hmm. you would have no time to do anything because you'd be in meetings all day long. Fair right? enough. Yeah. Like, I don't know how it would the last time you worked in an office was, but trust me, that's what happens. Yeah. So um, if, if you have the luxury of self-employment and I believe me, I get it. There's 10 million things to do always and you're never not working. Mm-hmm. But I schedule those meetings with myself because it's important. Yeah. Well, I figured I'd, I'd do a variation of what I used to do when I was living in Southern California. All the training rides were early in the morning. Well, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't really ride before getting the boys off to school. Uh, right. So I figured, oh, well, I'll get Philip to school and then I'll head home and immediately head out for a training ride then. And uh, didn't do it this morning because of the rain. And actually, I did have a few extra things to be working on today. But uh, the last two mornings, you know, I've, I've gotten out there and, you know, gotten my, re- my ride knocked out right away. And I'm, you know, I start remembering, oh, yeah, I feel so great after I do my ride. And look, yeah. I really could afford that time because I get everything knocked out through the rest of the day that I needed to anyway. Um, so, yeah. And better for it because you're not going, oh, I need to ride. I need to ride. Oh, when am I going to ride? Okay, I'll ride in an hour. And then you don't ride. And it's in the back of your head. Like, you've not only cleared your brain and gotten your blood flowing, but now you're not thinking about it anymore for the rest of the day. Amen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so... Oh, thanks. Good to talk about this. Okay. (laughs) Well, what do you say we go on to the Paceline Picks? Let's do it. Okay. What do you have? Ah, what do I have? Um, I don't know. Do you do any foam rolling, Patrick? Not nearly enough. I mean, yes. I guess the answer is both yes and no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And, well, I mean, that's fair. I I think most people, the answer is yes and no. Um, one of the reasons that I don't, and one of the th- reasons a lot of people I think don't, is because it hurts, right? Like it's just not no. a pleasant thing, and we, right? And we we tend to put off the things that I think um, are painful, and I just it's funny, like one of these. I don't know if you've ever encountered a vibrating foam roller. It it kind of makes you laugh when you first get it because it seems ridiculous. Like you push a button and this thing starts jumping in your hand. And you're like, this is a shake weight. I mean, this is silly. But um, But I I got the grid. I know. I got the grid vibe Uh from Trigger Point. And... um, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll, I will try this thing. And I turned it on. And the, the magic of it is is that the vibration um, distracts your nerves, for lack of a better scientific term. But it does. It, it distracts your nerves. It enhances blood flow. And it, like, loosens your muscles up with the vibration so everything hurts less. So you can actually do it without, like, really all – I mean, it's still – when you hit a spot, you still know it. But it's it's – so much more comfortable and like I actually look forward to doing it and I you know especially with the long endurance stuff I find that I really need to um, stay on top of certain areas like my IT bands get a little janky you know stuff that you know that that work 
gets worked for you. Yep. Um, I just it's it's a great thing. So I've been using it much more frequently than my other foam rollers, and it's it's a little heavier because it's got the battery in it, but it's smaller, so I can still you know I can still pack it and put it in my carry-on bag or my uh my the bag that I check when I go to a big event and. So that's my pick. I've been I've been using it, and uh, you know if people do like the idea of foam rolling, but they don't love how uh, agonizing it can be, I think it I think it's a really good alternative. Wow, it sounds fascinating. I got to look it up. Okay, so we'll have a, yeah, a link yeah. to that in our show notes, and I'll be one of the people clicking on that link. Cool. <laughs> okay. Um, so I've previously shared on this show that I have spinal stenosis. That is one of the discs in my neck between C5 and C6 has thinned. As a result, I get nerve pain in my shoulder and it makes riding about as enjoyable as the Spanish Inquisition. Um, recently, my massage therapist I've been seeing showed me this inflatable pillow with Velcro straps that wraps around your neck. Um, it's from a company called Maddie Bella. And I paid 50 bucks for mine because she had it right there. And I was like, yes, I want this. Um, it turns out you can find them online for less than half that. Um, I go on Facebook and I see like three or four ads for them. But it's really <laughs> remarkable because it looks like one of those neck pillows that people take on planes with them. But there are these two Velcro straps. And so you get it wrapped around your neck. And then there's a little hose and a little rubber bulb. And you pump up the bulb until you can't move your jaw oh. anymore. And <laughs> seriously, no matter what you say, when you got that thing on, you sound angry because it's all like this. Um, and it scares my kids. That's okay. I can live with that. How, lo- how long do you wear it? I'll usually wear it for about an hour. There have been times okay. where I've more or less forgotten about it and had it on for closer to two hours. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's. It's putting traction on your neck, stretching your neck out, and it works. It really honestly works. Um, You know, so, I mean, yeah, the relief is temporary, but anything that allows uh, that nerve uh, coming out between C5 and C6 to get some relief, um, what my sports medicine doctor told me is like, look, a lot of times what we're looking for is just to give that nerve uh, a break so that it can reset and get back to zero. Uh, And this Mm -hmm. is certainly helping to do that. So, and I tell you, I mean, given how comfortable it is when it's lightly uh, pumped up, I'm going to be taking this with me when I travel. I'll use it on a plane, you know? So That's it's, awesome. it's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, we'll have a, a link uh, for this in our show notes. Okay. Well, I'd say that's a wrap for this episode, this episode of the pace line. Um, Celine, what's next on your calendar? <laughs> a break. <laughs> I mean, uh, quite quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, I like to, um, you know, I'm, I live in the mid-Atlantic, for those who don't know. So I like to have early season events because it gets me training through the winter, through the early spring. I do a lot of long, you know, 100-mile gravel things fairly early, you know, through March. And then I culminated with this uh, coast-to-coast. So now I, it really is like I'm taking a little bit of a break. Uh, and next up, I, I think I'll be doing... Oh, there's some stuff in August. There's a Vermont stage race, a mountain bike stage race that looks kind of inviting. And uh, there's going to be an inaugural gravel event in Pennsylvania in October called Unpaved, which I've been helping recon and, and, and look at stuff for. And it's amazing. It's got tunnels and 
Overlook and Stream Crossing. So it's uh, that'll be in October, and that'll probably be my next big, you know, like big gravel event. But yeah, so it should be a fun summer and just roll into the fall. Very cool. Okay. Well, in just over a week, I've got Bike Monkey's Eight Hours of Wente. Um, yeah, so that's a mountain bike race and a big chunk of the course is on flow trails. So it's going to be huge fun. And I hope that I so can... So you'll just do that yourself? Uh, I'm going to do it solo. Yeah, there are there are options okay. for one person, two person teams and three person teams. And I'm going to do it solo. I had hoped that the next time I would do this, I would knock out nine laps. I don't know that I've got that kind of fitness this year. If I can get eight mm. like I did last time, I think I will just be happy and call it a day. So um, Sounds great. Before we go, I want to put in a plug for my other new podcast called The Poll. Uh, the show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. I'd say think Terry Gross for the bike set. Until next week, thanks for listening to The Pace Line. <laughs>